Well, hello, music teacher friends. <laughs> it's Christina Whitlock, your anytime piano teacher friend here, coming at you with episode number 75 of the Beyond Measure podcast. So first of all, can we just say, wow, 75 episodes. I'm so excited. And of course, I would have no reason to be doing this if you know, people like you didn't actually listen to this thing. So thanks so much for supporting and sharing the podcast with all of your friends. Um, It means so much to me to know that you actually find value in what I'm putting out there. So um, episode 75, here we go. So because 75 feels like a really big, important number I wanted to celebrate today and talk about something that is like truly a core of my teaching philosophy that I feel like saves me a ton of headaches when it comes to managing my studio. Um, However, (laughs) I'm changing course on that and that's going to be next week's episode number 76. So (laughs) how's that for a teaser? (laughs) Today, Like literally as we speak, I had just wrapped up my spring studio recital like a matter of hours ago, and I'm just feeling convinced that I just need to share some reflections with you on that event. I kind of wanted to just capture some thoughts like in real time as they played out through my head. And I guess if you're actually listening to this, that means I did go ahead and publish this episode instead of the other one. (laughs) So here's hoping you're up for some recital reflections today. All right, here we go. First of all, can I just say, like, you guys, I love studio recital time. I mean, I just love it. I know that I talk to a lot of teachers who just get so bogged down in the work of the recital and the stress of it and the chaos of scheduling and parents who don't seem to prioritize it and, you know, the list goes on and on. And I know they can be an exhausting thing, but I just love them. To me, recitals are just such a clear, like, snapshot in time of the progress that our students have made over the last year. And I don't know about you, but, like, I love celebrating progress. (laughs) I suspect you're the same way because that's kind of fundamental to the teacher heart, right? (laughs) We love to see progress. I also like when other people get to see progress. (laughs) Does that make any sense? I don't know. But I love to watch the reactions of my studio families when they notice a particular student has come a remarkable way within the year. And I mean, I'll be honest here, I would be lying if I didn't tell you that I loved all of the love that comes my way from all of my studio families at recital time. I mean, for me, I feel like for better or for worse, those words of affirmation, those compliments, those like showings and postings on social media and all of the great things that are said about me and the tags that I'm included in online. I mean, those really fill my cup. 
And I wish I could tell you that I was a secure enough person that I didn't need that kind of feedback to do my job well. But hey, it is what it is. <laughs> um, positive feedback, all those gifts, the flowers, the shout outs online, all of that stuff. It just does like add fuel to my fire to keep wanting to be amazing and keep throwing great recitals for my students. So let's just talk for a minute about what makes a really great student recital. You may or may not know that I have two episodes from last year, last spring, where I talked about my approach to recitals pretty specifically. So those are episodes number 26 and 27. They are both titled Cheers to Recital Success, part one and part two. Um, and I would fully recommend you going back and checking those out. But I have further thoughts for you today. <laughs> and also, I would be remiss if I didn't throw a great shout out um, to Amy over at the Piano Pantry podcast. Um, she had an episode last week. It's episode number 16 of her podcast, and it was all about uh, recital planning made easy. And you guys, if you know Amy's content at all, you know she's really great at kind of whittling things down into really clear, easy to follow strategies. So that's a nice, quick podcast recording. Definitely go listen to her. And one of the things she really plays up is the idea that if we spend just a little bit of extra time one year making some lists and some timelines and some notes just regarding what is working and what is not about our recital planning. Well, anyway, that can save us so much headache in the long run. And so I'm fully on board with Amy's plans. I definitely adopted a few things from her now in hindsight for next year. And I'm super excited about that. So you have some great episodes to go listen to. Episodes number 26 and 27 of this podcast, as well as episode 16 of the Piano Pantry podcast. So go do that. That's your homework for the week if you still have your recitals coming up this year. And really, here's what I want you to know about throwing a great recital. <laughs> From time to time on this podcast, I like to throw out this little saying and remind you that it's not about you. <laughs> and that is the secret sauce to a great student recital. So for me, I think it's really important that I keep all of the emphasis that I can on the students and what is going to make them excited and what is going to make them comfortable and what is going to help them shine. I think sometimes as teachers, we can get so caught up in the fact that we want our students to look accomplished and look happy and look successful that, you know, we try to be a little too controlling on their repertoire choices or, you know, how many pieces they're playing or, you know, X, Y, and Z. So I think it's really important that your student is playing something that they are excited to bring to this performance. 
depending on how closely you follow me, you may already know this, but my general performance calendar is set up like this. So through the fall months, my students do not do much performing at all. We'll do small group classes together. Sometimes I'll have a small group of students do one specific performance project. But in general, throughout the fall, we just focus on learning new skills, playing a lot of pieces, and developing all of the characteristics we want to develop, <laughs> right? So then when the springtime comes, winter and spring, uh, that's when performances really pick up. So I have a lot of students that do a lot of different competition work. That's when those start to pick up. Most of my students participate in Federation Festival. That's early March. And that, again, is more of a structured performance that they have to get ready for with very specific parameters. So then my spring recital is always held at the end of April. And my only criteria... <laughs> for what a student plays is that it has to be something that they are going to play well and that they are going to be excited to play. I literally have this conversation with my students every year when it comes time to choosing recital pieces. I just tell them, look, this is a really busy time of year. Sports go crazy. School goes crazy. I know my students in our area just finished standardized testing all week. So that makes recital Sunday, you know, a particularly crazy time. So notice my students have had to learn pieces that fit specific criteria earlier in the year. So I have completely supervised what historical rep they've learned and, you know, all of the other skills that they've developed. But when it comes time for this particular event, within reason, they are able to choose whatever they want to play. And for me, relinquishing control of that decision not only took a lot off my plate, but it also really gave my students a clear feeling of choice in the matter. You know, they knew that they were in charge of choosing their pieces. And honestly, I mean, if I'm assigning pieces that I know they're going to love, which is my goal all along, then I really have very little to worry about. So anyway, suffice to say, students are playing pieces that they really want to show off for this recital, right? Okay, check. Um, of course, I'm also making sure that they are very prepared. If they are not prepared for the recital, then they default back to one of their festival pieces or something else that they know well. And before you ask, yes, my students do all play from memory. So that's a whole topic for another day. But yes, my students all play memorized. The day of the recital, I think it's so important to try to de-escalate as much of that nervous energy as you can. Now, again, Students are going to be nervous for the recital. Parents are going to be nervous for the recital. And you, yes, as the teacher, are probably going to feel a little nervous as the teacher for this recital. So 
as is often the case, the goal here is not to eliminate all these anxious feelings, but it is to help everyone recognize that we're all in the same boat together. And I know I've said this many times on the podcast, but I just love to approach recitals as basically like a musical show and tell, right? I tell my students this all the time that you're really just getting on stage, you're showing everybody what you've been working on, and then you are basically asking to hear what they've been working on, right? Musical show and tell. So hopefully you can help yourself out on the weeks leading up to the recital by helping your students frame this event in a healthy way. But again, even still, (laughs) nervousness is going to abound on that day. So for me, I feel like it always really sets in because a lot of families like to arrive early for the recital. And even if there are small children running around or kids are visiting with their friends and there's a little bit of chit chat, I always feel like, you know, when parents start rolling in like 30 minutes to uh, the beginning of a recital, (laughs) I feel like there is tension in that room that you can cut with a knife, right? (laughs) So I've started trying to figure out what I can do to fill in that time and to just kind of help people settle in and feel a little more comfortable. So my original plan this year was to um, run basically a sing-along of Encanto songs, since uh, I don't know about you, but most of my studio is obsessed with the songs from Encanto. Well, I decided I didn't feel like getting all of that music put together for myself, (laughs) so I went back to a tried-and-true strategy that I continue to love, having just done it a few hours ago. I can tell you that I still enjoy this. So I offer basically like a pre-show warm-up is what I call it. And I just have my students meander up on stage on a completely voluntary basis, by the way. Not everyone participates and that is totally fine. (laughs) No pressure allowed. Um, But anyway, I have students come up and they take turns improvising for the audience. So this year I offered my students the choice of whether or not they wanted to play on all black keys or on all white keys. And that, of course, is something that my very beginner students can handle. And it's something that even my older students, my more advanced players, still enjoy coming up with ideas for. So um, I have very basic chord progressions that I play while they improvise, right? My go-to for black key improv is a one minor six, four, five (laughs) progression in the key of G flat major. So that's G flat major, E flat minor, C flat major, and D flat major. And as I play those chords, my students just play any combination of black keys that they would like. For white key improv, it's even more simple. I alternate between A minor and F major chords and a variety of accompaniment patterns. And we have a really good time. So it's usually a challenge to find the person who wants to go very first, but usually once one or two students get up there to try, then I have a line of students who want to come up and give it a go. 
So I feel like this just cuts that musical tension because we're not all just sitting there in nervous energy. There is music happening. Music is good for the soul, right? We all know it more better than anyone. <laughs> and I just feel like it gives students a chance to do something with that nervous energy they have. So if you haven't tried a little pre-show improvisation warm-up time, um, I would really highly recommend it. So by the way, I do this for about a 20-minute window, and we stop, like my recital began at 4.30, so we wrapped up improvisation at 4.20, and I do my group photo at 4.25, and then performances begin right at 4.30. So it kind of works out really well. However, I will say, of course, here's my downfall of this year, um, is that you have to have all of your ducks in a row so that you have the time to start this improvisation warm-up time, <laughs> um, and you don't have to be running around the venue trying to get other things in place, right? So for me this year, I thought I had all of my ducks in a row, but I had actually forgotten to uh, get images up on the monitors. Um, we have my recitals at a church, um, my church actually, and we have two big projection screens on the front wall, and I like to put up a cute little graphic for the recital, and I completely forgot to go load that and get the projector on. I also huh, forgot to sign my certificates that I give my first-time performers at the end of the recital, <laughs> and I looked everywhere for a pen and couldn't find one, so as I gave all of my certificates at the end of the recital, I had to whisper to each student that I would sign them in their lesson this week, <laughs> so there was that, and I mean, it was all silly, inconsequential things, but you know, when you are a recovering perfectionist like I am, it is hard to know that you were a little too last minute on a few things. Honestly, friends, I could sit here all day, I really could, and talk to you about tips and strategies and philosophies about what makes a successful recital. But the more I think about it, the more I really think it comes down to this I think you need to make sure that you are enjoying your students. <laughs> I think there's a lot of work that goes into the lead up to a recital. And there's almost always some kind of craziness that happens, right, in the last minute moments. <laughs> and I think you just have to roll with that. But for me, I always feel like once I get through that welcoming opening speech and the performances begin, I feel like I can sit and breathe a little bit. Now, of course, my heart flutters inside my chest every single time a student gets up <laughs> to play, you know, and I catch my breath if they start to hesitate and, you know, I wonder if they're going to be able to recover and all those feelings. But really, at the end of the day, I am able to sit back and just enjoy the fruits of their labors. And I guess of mine too, because of course, as the teacher, we had a lot to do with getting our students to that moment, right? So I guess I just want to remind you that if you find yourself in the flurry of recital planning, don't forget to just enjoy your students. 
Okay, <laughs> do you pinky promise? I'm going to hold you to it. So with that in mind, I would love to extend the invitation for you to raise whatever glass you happen to be drinking at the moment and allow me to offer a toast to us and to this wild time of year. <laughs> Music teacher friends all over the world, today we are uniting in solidarity knowing that so many of us are feeling the pressures of recital season. <laughs> and if you are not feeling those pressures, then hey, extend some great energy to those of us who are, right? <laughs> so we know that as music teachers, we are building students' memories and we are building the way that they will continue to reflect on the importance and the benefits of musical study for the rest of their lives. So as we cultivate whatever experiences we are designing for our students, may we all do so knowing that in the end, it is not about us and it is all about them and their experience. And I've got to tell you, if you can approach your events that way, I think the positive energy that's going to be returned to you and the benefits that you are going to see from that event uh, will just be multiplied beyond your wildest dreams. So here, here to you, my music teacher friends, I'm here with you. <laughs> Thank you, my friends, for listening to episode number 75 of the Beyond Measure podcast. I hope you enjoyed this little impromptu, very much unscripted episode. And if nothing else, know that next week, episode 76, I promise you some great content, all focused on philosophies that have really truly made teaching a much better, happier, and just overall um, less stressful experience. Boy, that sounds like a good sales pitch, doesn't it? <laughs> see if it lives up to it. Come back next week. We'll see you soon. Thanks, friends.